Imagine saying this to a student that you know. What would it be like to someday in the future have one of your grandkids say to you, Grandma, Grandpa, let's look at your Instagram account from when you're my age. Uh, Jeff, there won't be Instagram in the future. You might want to update. Are you a futurist? I, it would just imagine uh, if somebody's like, okay. can we look at your slide projector? Just photos. Play along, Jason. Play along. Yeah, Instagram won't be in the future. Okay, anyway. So getting our students to think about in the future the fact that what they're posting now when they're 12, 13, 14, all the way up through high school never goes away. It's always there. It can be found. And the point is, Jason, the Internet never forgets, no matter if it's Instagram. Even if Instagram is gone. Even if it's gone. It will never forget. It won't forget. So the things that we're putting on Twitter are going to be there 80 years from now. Yeah, I think so. So the things that our top official of this country is putting on Twitter will be able to be reviewed 80 years from now. Exactly. So we should should look at his first tweet and see how exciting that one is. His first tweet? Yeah. So You're talking about President Trump? Yeah, President Trump, because he is a fiend on Twitter, Okay. as I'm sure a lot of people know already. So I figured... Let's look at what he put on Twitter when he first signed up for Twitter. Okay. You got it? Yeah, it's right here in front of me. Okay. Yeah, it's extremely it. exciting. Wow. So his first tweet. This is his this is history. From 2009. 2009. Okay, yep. yeah. Uh, be sure to tune in and watch Donald Trump on Late Night with David Letterman as he presents the top 10 list tonight. All in third person. That was it? That was it. I thought you said it was going to be exciting. I said it was going to be historic. Oh. Oh, wow. That was his first tweet ever. Yeah. Okay, wow. And it's never gone away. Not yet. Because we're talking about it right now. Eight years later. That's right. Wow. Okay. Well, the president is a reminder of remembering that the internet (laughs) never forgets. Be careful, kids, what you say. Because it will always be there. It will always be there. This episode, we talk about helping students forge their digital footprint in this world. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. In the last episode, in the last two episodes, actually, we've been in this three-part little series called The Digital Life, and we're trying to figure out ways to help students develop 21st century digital survival skills to be able to make it out in the digital world in which we live. So we encourage you to go back over the last couple episodes, check those out. Our next episode is regards to the campus, the school campus. We are going to take a look inside the closed doors of the school campus. So we're going to be hearing from students talking about things that we as adults maybe don't get privy to. So that will be very, very interesting as we continue on in the fourth season of The Thought Factory. We want to continue to thank you for just listening, your partnership, our growing audience. We love connecting with people all over the world and learning uh, from students, about students, in order to really help them in their lives and relationship with God. So thanks for joining us today on this great episode. and. In this episode, we are talking about how the internet never forgets. We've got 
again, our special guest, Chris McKenna, here in the studio with us. And we're really excited about what he's going to to help us understand when it comes to students and what they um, need to know in creating this digital footprint. And Jason, I know you and your wife, you guys are avid followers, as well as we are as well, of Chris McKenna and what he does and uh, how, what he's doing to help us. Yeah, he does Protect Young Eyes. He is the founder of Protect Young Eyes. And it's really about internet safety. And with having three boys, all young, one about to turn seven in a couple of months, four and two, um, really wanting to be proactive in protecting them in their internet usage, protecting them from harm, whether it's predators, whether it's pornography, um, just inappropriate content that they are not old enough to even handle themselves. And so Chris does a great job. Him and his team does a great job providing resources, insight, expertise on apps that are geared toward kids and students and and yet the the pitfalls to them uh, to what to look out for all these things that just really allow me as a parent to be reassured that somebody out there is also on my side as a parent and looking out when I just don't always have the knowledge of what every single app or every little piece of technology how it's trying to really force my kids into be addicted to the content, to be just completely engaged in, in their device. And so he does a really good job. So protectyoungeyes.com is the website. He's got a presence all over social media. And I want to remind you of our social media and other things if you want to learn more. With this episode, we have a companion blog and as well as we do with all of our episodes. So that's out there if you go to neverthesame.org slash blog. You can find more if you like more data, more information, more resources. That's there for you, as always. And look us up online, Never the Same, on Facebook. And as a part of our organization, we are a national youth ministry organization and uh, a fast-growing national youth ministry organization. We're doing some really incredible, exciting things across the country. A couple of those, NTS Camp, if you're familiar with that, you may want to check out that website, ntscamp.com, learn more about the events that we do across the country. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to connect with you. So that's something that we do in our spare time off the air here, as well as Claim Your Campus, a student prayer movement with our goal of uniting one million students in prayer across the nation. And by using our digital app, if you go to the App Store, you can download the digital app, Claim Your Campus. And uh, I said digital app, like like there's a physical app. Yeah, you can. It's, it's an app. And it is digital. You can find it at Applebee's. So it's a digital app at the App Store. You can find that and learn more about what we're doing there. We'd love to connect with you. Later on this season, we do have some really incredibly exciting news coming your way about something that we are going to be doing down the road that we know you'll want to hear about. That's just a little teaser we're not going to talk about today, but that's going forward. So in our episode today, we're going to jump in again with Chris McKenna and hear what he has to say about the internet and what we can do to help students create this digital footprint. So for many years, my wife and I, Arianna, we taught a marriage class. Hundreds of couples came through it. And in that class, we had a guest, a financial advisor friend of mine, very successful. And he would teach our class on the financial segment and tell them that that 20th and 21st century life skills, if you have a financial skill set, that's a survival skill that 
that you need to know that if you don't have survival skills in the area of finance, you you'll crash and burn. And I I think the same can be said for the digital life. That, right. Sure. That having uh, the survival skills to be able to navigate through life, because as I've heard you say, Chris, you can't go through a day in modern American society, even if you don't have a smartphone, without being affected by the digital world. Mm-hmm. And so Chris McKenna is here with us. We're, we're glad to have you here again for this episode. Talk to us a little bit about, to the adults that are listening, sure. about helping students have uh, a digital survival skill set for the 21st century. Yeah, definitely. I think it is necessary to have some digital IQ. We can't um, bubble wrap our kids and then one day send them off to college and expect them to navigate technology responsibly. That's just not um, preparing them for the real world, nor can we just let them figure it out on their own. There's this hard work in the middle as ministry leaders and as parents of you know, guiding kids in a balance on, on both sides of this. So I think whether, um, you know, whether you're young or old, the, the internet inherently desires control over its users. I found that to be abundantly true in my own life, that if I, if I just pick up the device, I'm bound to just click. If I haven't put in place certain intentional controls around my usage, eventually the internet will control me instead of me controlling it. And so I think uh, an essential tool, whether you are 14 or 40, when it comes to using technology, is to have some guidelines, guard ru- you know, guardrails, accountability, whatever you want to call it in place around what you see and how you use the device. So typically that's talked about in terms of the content that's viewed, right? Whether it's some sort of filtering that's in place just to filter out the junk. I would argue that... It's not just porn addicts who need filtering. (laughs) I think in order to guard our eyes from worthless things, as Scripture compels us to do, um, that we should all, as as believers, only use the Internet in a filtered state. Um, Is that from time to time going to create an inconvenience where you can't get to something? Yes, but I think that that's a, a small price to pay for the benefit of guarding my eyes from things that then are so compelling towards the second click. And I, you know, I just want to say, you know, I think it's also teaching our kids an essential tool for our kids today is to teach them what to do when we, unfortunately, as parents, Gen X parents, looking at myself here, we, we go through too much of, well, that won't happen. No, we have to teach our kids what to do when something happens, not if. It's not if in the digital world. It's only a matter of when they will see something you don't want them to. It's only a matter of when somebody they shouldn't be talking to will try to talk to them or will try to comment on something on social media. So a survival tool for kids today is to have in their tool belt multiple tools that they know what to do when something inappropriate happens on the internet. What do I do when I see an inappropriate image? What do I do when through the unmoderated chat feature in Roblox that so many elementary school boys use, somebody who I don't know asks me a nice question. See, as 
good kids, and I, I say this to elementary and middle school kids all the time, because you are all nice kids, you have been taught to be nice to other people. Therefore, when somebody asks you a seemingly innocent, nice question, you're compelled to answer it. And you feel that it's mean not to. One of the tools I give kids is I give nice kids permission not to answer seemingly nice questions from people they don't know. And you need to give them that permission. Inherently, they're going to think that that's mean, that, well, I'm, you know, I I shouldn't, no, no. If somebody you don't know sees a post that you put on social media and says, hey, I like to play soccer too. Where do you play? That's a tricky question that from somebody you don't know, you should never answer. Sounds innocent, but we need to give our kids some of these sort of predator-proof tools um, that I think go against the grain as to what they would inherently do if we didn't give them that specific when scenario. All right, let's talk about bubble wrapping kids because I love that phrase. So Jason and I, as we've talked about this, and we've talked about the 21st century digital survival skill set for students, We've, we've likened that to back in the day, you needed to know how to build a fire. If you're going to live in, in, as a human being, sure, you had to know how to do that. Now, this year, I've j- jumped back into way more engagement in my own local church where I served as youth pastor. And, and now, I haven't mentioned this yet, but I recently inherited a... Um, a tribe of sixth grade boys. I'm the sixth grade boys small group. Leader. In a moment of weakness, you yeah, said yes. I said yes. <laughs> and I was thinking back, I was talking to the youth pastor. I don't think in all, I've had 25 years of youth ministry experience, and the majority is out with high school. I don't think I've ever seriously led a junior high boys small group. So <laughs> wow. it is hilarious. I'm having a blast. It's you may great. have to listen to a few podcasts I to think figure this so. out. Yeah. I need to go back and listen to what we've been talking about here. But so, Here's what I noticed this last week with students that I'm working with and parents when in the digital world, that some parents literally said to me, I don't let my kids touch a digital device. I don't let them do anything at all digitally. And I, I have mixed reactions to that because sure. part of me says, yes, you, we need to be super cautious. So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, yes, I have a seventh grade daughter, right? I get it. Sure. The other part of me goes, but as parents, are you preparing them for reality? Because the reality is when they're at school, they're in the digital realm as well, right? whether they like it or not. What's your response to that, the bubble wrapping idea, and what do parents do? Like all of us here, some of us are parents, maybe of us are youth workers, we're trying yeah. to help parents. Talk to us about that. Good question. I'm always, I'm always hesitant to try to teach, you know, tell a parent how to parent because at the end of the day, it's their kid. They know best, and I, I don't want to sound judgmental in any way. But if, if a parent were to come to me in that situation, my, my statement with them t- to them would be, that's great. Say no as long as you want, but teach them as if you had said yes. I'm okay with your no, but... To that kid who doesn't have access to technology in your home, think about the width of their world and what is the probability that in the midst of your no, they will run into a digital device of some kind, probably pretty high. Therefore, even though the situation of running into something inappropriate may not happen on your network in your home, 
what if it happens somewhere else? That's where the in the tool belt needs to be tools for the whens. Even if it doesn't happen in your home, do they know what to do? So you say to that kid, you know what, hon, we've just decided that you aren't going to have an iPad. But, you know, if you're ever at school and you're doing Googling for some project or you're in a Google classroom and, you know, give them some scenarios and say, if this happens, then I want you to do this. If you're at a friend's house and this happens, I want you to do this. So I think those are helpful tools for a kid. I'm okay with the no. Again, I'm, I'm hesitant to tell a parent, no, you've got to give them an iPad at home because it's not my house, not my kid. I don't know what's going on. Um, but there's a balance there where you've got to give them enough to know what to do when they're outside of your control. Let me speak to younger youth workers and listeners right now, especially if you don't have children. Don't ever tell a parent what they should or shouldn't do. There Trust you go. me. When I was younger... I didn't say it much. I thought it. And now that, you know, I have older kids, you realize it's it's a jungle out there. So be easy on those parents. Encourage them. That's that's a good word. And Chris, we were talking earlier offline about the fire analogy, right? And talk to us about yeah. what you shared. It was so good. Yeah. So we, at one point in our sort of, you know, development as, as a species here, depended a lot more on fire than we do today. But it was an essential um, part of everyday life. Fire, since the beginning of the first spark, has always had the ability to burn, maim, or kill. Because of those attributes, it doesn't mean that we said, well, we're going to find a different way to cook our meal. We're just not going to use that fire thing anymore. Let's get working on a different method. No, no, we determined there were good and bad ways to use fire, and there were responsible ways to do so. Um, if that's an apples-to-apples apples comparison, I think that we can draw the same conclusions with with technology is that and, and this is the same jeff with anything in life everything in life that can be used for our benefit always has a way that it can hurt us i mean that's the that's the tension that i find in john 10 10 we use this one with the kids to say the thief comes to rob steal and destroy comma but i have come that they may have life i think every good situation has that tension in that comma of choose to use it well, put tools, parameters, guidelines, whatever you need in your life to use that thing well, whether it's riding a bike, snowboarding, or using the internet, do it well, and you'll probably have an enjoyable experience. There is a good productive way to do all of those things, including technology. Do it poorly, irresponsibly, carelessly. You're going to get hurt, maybe irreparably, you know, maybe uh, something that, yeah, so you get what I'm trying to say there. I think that that is true for everything. And so to, to demonize technology by itself, I think is a little too um, broad just to say, you know what, it's all horrible. It's all, no, there are unbelievable things we can do with technology from a gospel perspective <laughs> that we weren't able to do when the three of us were young, that let's take advantage of those things. Let's put the the, the tools and the, the necessary guardrails in place to use it well and teach our kids to do the same. Use a phrase, the internet never forgets. Yeah. And we kind of stole that for this episode, right? Because you don't have a trademark. No trademark. I understand. Nope, it's... We asked you permission just now. Thank you. Yes, Granted. thank you. <laughs> yeah. So talk to us about that. What, what, what do you... Dig into that phrase. Sure, sure. Uh, it's another way of saying um, internet permanence. It's just the internet never forgets, plays a lot better in front of fifth and sixth graders. 
But this idea that every click has a digital footprint attached to it, that just because it's no longer in my feed because I deleted it or whatever, it's bits and bytes of data and it's somewhere in some fashion that hit a tower, hit a router, hit something. And so the problem with the internet is that it it begs for immediate response. Everything about the internet says, click now, do now, now. It screams now. And for young people who already struggle with some executive decision-making just due to their neurological development, something in their hands that screams now preys on them. And so unfortunately, if kids aren't taught this idea of, well, it may be possible for me to show my granddaughter my Instagram feed from when I'm a junior high kid. I mean, think of some of that. Project them into the future to say, you know, are you going to be proud in front of your children, future employers, whoever, of your seventh grade social media feed? If not, change your behavior now because it'll still be there. So some of the phrases we use are that the internet is like a giant Sharpie. And many of us have used a Sharpie in the wrong place. And you scrub and scrub and scrub and you try to get it off. And no matter how hard you try, even if you get all the Sharpie off, you've probably rubbed away part of the surface. You can always tell where the Sharpie was in some way. And that's a lot like every single click on the device that's in our hands. That has an impact for future college scholarships that has an impact for future employment, that has an impact for future relationships. I think all of that comes into play um, because the internet is often a more accurate reflection of who we are than what we say we are. I tell parents, if you want to know a lot about your kids, look at their clicks. How they navigate technology will tell you more about their heart than the grunts that you got out of your seventh grade boy when he came home from school. It's a great insight into who they are, but we need to give them respect for every one of those clicks is leaving a mark. Chris, I know that you have a resource that you are working on, ready to release. Why don't you yeah. describe that a little bit more? Sure. So, you know, Protect Young Eyes was built as a free place for parents to come and consume as much information as they want. Um, but as Which my wife loves. We are totally digging the, the resources that you provide. Thank you. So I appreciate that. I, I appreciate your your support there. Stamp of approval, just to make up for not knowing your stuff very well. Uh, that, fair enough. What we've discovered as we've traveled is that there's this void that exists in curriculum that schools would use for digital citizenship or that youth pastors might use in teaching in a small group setting on how to use technology responsibly but with a biblical foundation. And so we built what we've called Virtue in Media. So virtueinmedia.com, it's a subscription to a curriculum that is video-based, plug-and-play, show a two- to three-minute video about, as we talked about, the internet never forgets. And then there is small group discussion. There's content to send home to parents, both in English and in Spanish. There's example digital policies that youth ministries could have in place for appropriate use of technology between students and adult leaders, which is a really hot topic right now in terms of liability for churches and trying to mitigate some of that with policies. And so we've built all of that into Virtue and Media so that 
churches and youth ministries can create transformation around how kids use their technology and be doing that in a way that's intentional and taught and parents are on board just so that everybody's moving in the same direction. So I'd love for as many of those listening to, to go and check that out. If it's a blessing to you, I'd really appreciate if you uh, um, had a chance to use it. So Where can they check that out? Uh, website is virtueinmedia.com. We want to talk about a couple other things here when it comes to the internet never forgetting. Jason, you've got some things to help us here. We want to share two things. For one, students, things they need to know, seven ways to avoid being hired in the future. Everyone is going to go back and look at their social media, even when they're in high school and when they're looking at jobs, even down the road. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about five ways to think before you post that we know will help you as you help guide students. I know when I was in a position to hire staff, I always looked at social media to just get a, an idea of who this person was. Yes, you can look at a resume and you can find out all the highlights and all the things that they want to want you to know about them. But social media, there's something about a candid shot or something about what they're thinking that digs a lot deeper. And so a lot of future employers are going to be looking at your social media, what you're posting. Actually, 70% of employers say they look at social media when they are making a hire. And so they they have a list of things that you can do and put on your social media to avoid being hired by them. And so I figured I'd share that to say, these are things that we probably should think about when we're posting things to go, eh, maybe that's not a good idea if I want to be employed in the future. I'm thinking 70%. That seems low to me. I would say probably the other 30% are over 70. Right, and they have no idea. They have no access to the internet. They say the Facebook probably. Yep. So what are they? Let's They're hear probably them. somebody who would text you their phone number. Yeah, they would. Yeah, I had that happen the other day by the way. <laughs> so I texted me their phone number. I said, "Thanks, I got it twice now." Twice. Good. Seven ways to avoid being hired in the future. The first one is provocative or inappropriate photos or posts. So if you provide provocative or inappropriate photos, they're going to see that and go, ah, maybe not a good idea. Second one is content about drinking or using drugs. I think there is an unspoken about this where you think, oh, I'm just having a fun time. I am young. I'm in college. This is what I am doing currently. But a future employer is going to look at that and go, yeah, I probably don't want that activity in my place of employment. Yeah, it's called the rule of the red cup. Take all the red cups out of any of your digital footprint. It's important. Yep. Another thing to think about is bad-mouthing a previous employer. It just tells the future employer once the the employment ends, they'll probably bad-mouth us. And so they just want to avoid that situation altogether. And so they're saying, stop bad-mouthing previous employers. Or sharing confidential information from a previous employer. They want to know, can we trust you? Can we put information in front of you, on your desk, in your inbox, and it will stay confidential. You will not be sharing it because social media, it, the tendency is to just broadcast it to everybody. And employers don't want things that are being said or discussed in meetings to be out in the open. And so can they trust you? Another way to avoid being hired in the future is having poor communication skills. I know tweets are 160 characters. 
I think it's 140. I knew that. <laughs> you're testing me. I passed. Yeah. 140 characters. So, of course, you're going to be using words that are abbreviated and one character for an entire word. But are you presenting a very poor communication skill to that that future employer going, ah, they just don't know how to communicate or they're, they aren't using wisdom and discretion when they communicate. Another one is discriminatory comments based on race, gender, or religion. I think we see that a lot. We can pile on people that post things about this, but are you using hateful speech? Mm-hmm. Are you picking out a, a group of, of people in this country or in this world and saying, I hate you or I don't like you or whatever it may be, and you are using discriminatory comments about them. They just don't want that in their place. And lastly is lies about qualifications, lies about what you are capable of doing, what you have previously done. Again, it comes down to trust. Can they trust you? Can they rely on you to be able to do the skills and and the job that they are hiring you to do? And if they find that you're just lying about it, then they're not going to waste their time. So those are seven really powerful statements that, again, it is never too early to begin to help our students understand that they're creating this digital footprint. And Jason, what you shared is such a practical thing because we can say that to students. We can say, hey, be careful with what you post. But that's very specific. It's great because things like pictures, things like like the idea of bad-mouthing a previous employer. I know someone personally who was let go from a a place of work and they just went off on that. And I thought to myself when I read that, you're not really making your previous employer look bad as much as you're making yourself look bad. And again, people are going to go and say, would I want to hire someone who may do that to me in the future? So I think those are great. Those are things to think about. And it's never too early to begin to prepare students to, to prepare their digital footprint. Now let's think on the other end and encourage our students to think before they post five things here to consider when it comes to creating your digital footprint. Number one is, is it true? Ask yourself the question, is this true what I'm going to say? And going back to what you said earlier, lying about your qualifications, if students are thinking through that grid and thinking, okay, is this true? Is this, this is an exaggeration. This isn't something, this is something I know for a fact. And how often have we hit the retweet button or the like or the share without maybe looking into something and and just spending even a few moments to verify if it's real or not. And I'm super careful about that. I've made that mistake many times where I've shared or commented or liked something, retweeted it, and then realized later, oh, this wasn't even true at all. So the question, is it true, is really important. Second question, is it helpful? Not just is it true, but is it something that's positive, that's constructive, that's not damaging, that's not tearing anyone else down? And I think I've shared on this podcast before one of my personal rules and for my kids because I pay for their cell phone is if you're going to put something online, it's never to be negative about anyone else, whether you know them or not. It's easy to it's easy to tear someone down if you don't know them. It's easy to rip on a political leader, a celebrity, someone that we say, I'll never meet them, it doesn't matter. But I think the the idea is, is it helpful? And I think students need to be thinking about that. Third thing, is it inspiring? In a world where more and more there's division, there's 
people being critical of everything. It seems like you can put nothing online anywhere without some type of criticism. But I think on our end, are we doing something to inspire other people? I think as believers, as followers of Jesus, as we're influencing students, we've got to get them to see and understand that it needs to be an inspiration. And one of the things that I love to hear is when people will say to me, I just enjoy what you have to say because it's always uplifting, it's always positive, it's always inspirational. And I'm not trying to say that just to, you know, toot my own horn here, but I know, like, I didn't always have that rule. And and since I've done that, I've found, even for myself, my interactions are so much more enjoyable. I remember, you know, years ago, early on in my social media experience, getting into debates with people, and I realized eventually I'm never going to change anyone's mind. I'm never going to probably change anyone's perspective So I'm not even going to worry about that. I'm just going to put things out that are inspirational. And for me, hopefully inspiring people to faith and understanding of the love of God and and, uh, how much he loves them. So, all right. So true, helpful, inspiring for, is it necessary? Do you need to say it? In a world where there's so many voices out there, I think asking ourselves and helping students to see do you need to say this? You know, do we need to know that you're getting up off the couch and going to the fridge to get some Fleischmann's butter? Yes. Right? We do. Jason, you're a digital hermit, so I, need to I know. don't know anything that you do outside of work. Yes. Actually, I do, but not because of social media. You digital hermit. <laughs> but um, so is it necessary? I think it's a simple question, but makes sense. And then finally, is it kind? Number five. Asking students the question, is this a kind thing to say, to talk about? And those five things, getting them to think. And if you didn't figure this out, Jason, it's an acronym. What's that? Wow. T-H-I-N-K. Hey, that spells think. It does. True, helpful, inspiring, necessary, kind. Five simple questions. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? If... If we would just use a simple grid like that to think about things before we posted something, I think the world would be a much better place. And as believers, we are responsible for the message that we send. We're responsible as youth workers to help students and guide them in ways of creating a digital footprint that's honoring to God and does our part to redeem this world for Him and to make it a better place. So, Those are some things to think about. We hope that in this series of Digital Live, Jason, as we've looked back over the last couple episodes, there's been some great information from Chris McKenna. And uh, once again, why don't you share the website and the name of of the resource he's offering. His website is protectyoungeyes.com. The resource is about internet safety, but also just being able to think through and see the protection that is out there that is needed when we are navigating the internet, the digital life. His website is protectyoungeyes.com. doesn't matter what age you are, it is valuable information. So again, with the digital life, I think when we're guiding students, we're not asking them to avoid it or to escape it. We're asking them to redeem it. That's our, that's our role as believers here in this world. And so we wish the best to you as you help students navigate the digital life.
The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.